0: you now to turn in your Bible to Psalm 91. We're in a series on the Psalms, not in any particular order or emphasis, but picking several Psalms that uh, speak to us, speak to the issues of life. You recall just a few months ago on January 12th, a massive earthquake struck the impoverished nation of Haiti with a Richter-scale magnitude of around 7.0, striking the capital city, Port-au-Prince. And you no doubt remember news reports and saw uh, news coverage of hundreds of thousands of victims. I believe it was over 200,000 people perished. Hundreds of thousands more were uh, made homeless by that event. And one thing you'll know is that even after the earthquake was over, many, many people were too terrified to return home. They didn't trust the structure of their own houses and buildings to provide them shelter, so they chose to sleep outside and remain outside for days. In fact, many people are still living in makeshift tents and other temporary relief structures. And sadly, the impoverished and devastating situation in Haiti illustrates for us the vulnerability of fallen mankind in our human condition. They illustrate for us our spiritual condition, for without Christ, you and I lie shelterless, vulnerable to the coming wrath of God. We turn to Psalm 91 tonight, which I believe directs us to the only shelter to shield us both from the storms of life and from the coming judgment of God. Please follow as I read from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. And under his wings he will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night. Nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands, since so you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon a lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the Holy An inspired word of God. Let us pray. Father, you are a shelter. You are a place of refuge. The righteous run to you for safety. We cry out to you tonight that you might meet with us, you might minister to the hurting places of our hearts, you might direct our attention away from self to look upon the things of Christ. Help us to see Jesus in this text and open our eyes so we might behold wonderful things from this portion of your word. We do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember many occasions as a boy walking along with my dad, trying to keep myself inside his shadow on a bright, sunny Houston day. Of course, being much larger than myself, he cast a bigger shadow. And if I timed it just right and walked close enough... I could stay concealed in his shadow, protected from the, the heat of a hot, sunny Houston day. You know, the heat of the sun is appealed to in Scripture as a picture of the weightiness of the burden of this life. The sun beats upon us as weary travelers walking through this world. You and I live in a sin-filled, cursed world that is filled with much difficulty. But we know that such sin and a heat of life are but markers of the promised coming judgment of God. God made this world perfect, good, and yet the day approaches when he will make all things right. This broken, fallen world will be restored according to God's perfect will. In our text tonight, proposes to us that only those who seek refuge in the shadow of the Almighty will find relief from the burdens of the day and will have deliverance from the day of God's coming wrath. Man-made religions teach us to build up our own false shelters. Buddhists put their hope in enlightened contemplation to make evil go away. Muslims seek after the five pillars of Islam in submission to Allah. Countless sects of ancient and modern Judaism and Christianity teach people all about law-keeping, about following moral statutes in their effort to find a secure path into the eternal kingdom. Of course, nowadays, many secular materialists trust in vain their education, their career success, their accumulation of wealth, their do-goodism for whatever great cause, in an effort to suppress their knowledge of the righteous lawgiver. Jesus calls upon us to put all of these things away, to take up his cross and follow him. He says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but I'm not a person who rests very well. I would call my temperament restless. It's hard for me. And I've actually had to pray all week and ask my wife to pray for me. Help me rest in the Lord. And I'm learning slowly to rest, by God's grace to be a man who rests in the Lord. Verse 1 of our text paints this picture of rest, one of a weary traveler finding lodging in the Most High. Now, it's interesting, this term for God, this label, Most High, is first used in Scripture in reference to Melchizedek, the mysterious figure who greets Abraham in Genesis 14, the priest, and king of ancient Salem, says these words, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. This title was also used by Balaam, the man who was called upon to curse Israel in passage through Moab to the Promised Land. It's possible that this was an ancient term used by non-Israelite peoples to explain the God who... Is the maker of heaven and earth. Moses also uses the term in Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, the word rest means to abide, to dwell, to take up lodging. And we are commended in verse 1 to abide under the shadow of, Of the Almighty. God introduced Himself to Abram as God Almighty right before He changed His name to Abraham and gave Him the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17. He is the all powerful God, the all seeing God, the one who calls things to life, who resurrects the barren womb. It was in the name of God Almighty that Isaac and Jacob blessed their sons. In verse 2, our God is a refuge and fortress. He is a place of safety. Notice how the psalmist personalizes these terms. He is my fortress, my refuge, my God in whom I trust. You recall the people of Haiti did not trust their buildings. They did not trust their homes for fear that they would collapse on top of them. That's why they slept outside under the stars. But for us to say that we trust in the Lord means that we must stay with him. We must remain under his shadow. To rest under the shadow of the Almighty means we do not bolt and run from him when life gets difficult. People who trust in the Lord... Do not run in fear from the tremors of health complications. They do not flee in despair when their financial portfolios plummet. They fret not into worldly thinking when disaster strikes their household. People who abide under the shadow of the Almighty face temptation with faith in the God who provides them a way of escape. Endure hardship with confidence in him who will be with them and see them through to the end. Now verse 3 and following offers promises to those who would make God their refuge. He will deliver them from the fowler's snare. The word deliver means to snatch something away by taking Prey from the mouth of a predator, as David did the sheep from a lion. Now, growing up in our home, we sometimes would have birds get caught in the fireplace, entering in through the chimney, and occasionally they would escape into the house and make a mess of things, like a bird caught in a trap or in a fireplace. We only hurt ourselves and make a mess of things when we react in the flesh to life's difficulties. You see, the devil's traps are designed to tighten further the more we struggle against them. And you and I must learn to quietly trust and wait upon the Lord for his deliverance, like Jacob. Jacob, who fell between a rock and a hard place, In his desperation, he prayed, please deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. God delivered Jacob. He came to him in the night to wrestle with him and left him crippled and handicapped that he might limp before his brother in meekness so that Jacob would learn the lesson that his only Refuge was the Lord, not his wits, and not his own strength. Verse 4 gives us an image of a, a great bird, an eagle, that is hovering over its young to protect them in description of the Lord's care for us. We find these words echoed poetically by Boaz, who commends to the young maiden, the, the, the young widowed Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Taking up refuge under the wings of the Almighty means we put off our old loyalties to sin, worldliness, and idolatry. It means we say no to the false gods who promise us fame, comfort, and security all of which are empty. Finding refuge under the wings of the Almighty means we say yes to him who can deliver us, the one who has a perfect track record, whose promises have not fallen flat. Every single one of them have been fulfilled. And Jesus illustrates his fulfillment of this promise when he said these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent." to you those sent to you how often i have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing jesus laid down his life for us like a mother hen sacrificing herself protecting her chicks in a barn fire so jesus consumed the wrath of god on our behalf Well, it's our fears that oftentimes tempt us to mistrust the Lord. But verse 5 tells us that he who abides in the shadow of the Almighty need not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. You know, darkness makes us feel vulnerable. Doing things in the dark are scarier. Going to movies, camping, driving at night simply being at home alone. Predatory animals like lions hunt at night with their keen night vision. The Bible describes the devil as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Paul warns us that he shoots at us flaming arrows that we must repel with a shield of faith. He calls upon us in Ephesians 6 to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil those darts of doubt, discouragement, and despair, and all kinds of temptations that would seek to penetrate our armor. We have a shield of protection, not in our faith, but our faith in the one who protects us. In preparing this message this week, I sought permission from Paul Hill, one of our members, to share his story. Paul was an army ranger and served in special forces a couple of tours in Afghanistan just a couple years ago. In one of his accounts, he, he and his comrades were meeting with a warlord, and after leaving the meeting in the evening, their truck was ambushed by enemy fire. As Paul was driving the truck, his buddy, his best friend next to him, was gunned down and killed. And another soldier behind him in the back seat was also mortally wounded. Amazingly, Paul was able to drive the truck and escape with his life. But later, later on, or perhaps the next day, he noticed there were bullet holes all over the vehicle. And from a human vantage point, it was impossible for any bullet or ricochet to go through that truck and not hit him. To this day, Paul has to credit the gracious providence of God who spared his life to live another day and to fulfill other purposes for the Lord. Paul's story reminds us that our sovereign Lord is in control of every square inch. Every precious moment of your life is under the care of the Almighty You and I cannot fall to the ground any one moment sooner or later than God's perfect will for us in Christ. Verses 6 and 7 go on to remind us that the Lord protects us within a hair breath. We're taught that not a hair can fall from our head outside the will of the Father. Our lives are not a matter of odds and percentages These things never override the will of God. We are not mere statistics. Insurance and safety measures are good and important things, but they are no replacement for the peace and the security we have by resting in the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. I believe the verse 9 is best translated with these words, "For you have made the Lord the most high," quotes, "who is my refuge," close quotes, "your dwelling place." We're exhorted to make the Lord our personal place of refuge. We're told to claim residence with the Lord. Now politicians will sometimes claim resident status of a particular state to run for federal Congress or Senate, as we file our taxes, some people claim resident status of more than one state, having multiple dwelling places. Friends, you and I have a dual, dual residence. We are pilgrims here on earth, but we are residents of heaven. Have you claimed the Lord as your residence? have you made the city of god your dwelling place or are you fraternizing in the city of man would you be like lot who sought favor from the men of sodom men who were d- destined for destruction or would you seek company with abraham and those who by faith looked forward to the promised land to a city with foundations whose maker and builder is god Verse 10 promises us, No evil shall be allowed to meet you. No plague shall come near your tent. An American overseas, finding trouble and problems in a foreign country, can take advantage of his benefits and rights of citizenship by seeking refuge at the American embassy. That little piece of real estate is American soil and grants the citizen of the U.S. all the rights and privileges and representation of an American citizen. Friend, you and I have a special place of real estate we can run to when under attack. And it's at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, we find refuge from the attack of the enemy. It's our place of shelter in this war torn, hostile world. The NIV says that no harm will befall you. Do you believe that? There is a difference, I believe, between harm and hurt. God will allow the latter, but never the former. Like wise parents who may allow hurt for their children to learn valuable lessons to gain boundaries, and yet no good and loving parent will ever knowingly allow permanent harm and damage to come to a child's body, mind, or soul. Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Before we get into this famous verse, I pause to point out Something that develops in this psalm, both verse 3 and verse 11, both begin with this clause, for he will. The statement precedes a promise of God. And there are also two complementary verses that begin with, because he, verses 9 and 14. And these verses reason out God's gracious and faithful response to the need of the follower. These conditions, these conditions for God taking action on our behalf are not based upon any perfect obedience on our part, but genuine trust. All four of these verses begin with the same Hebrew conditional clause. So the grammar is structured in a way to demonstrate for us the gracious conditions by which God takes initiative for our care and is faithfully responsive to our cry for all those who will trust him, who will hold fast to him on the basis of his righteous and unfailing character. Now, sadly, we know that the devil used verse 11 in an effort to tempt Jesus into presumptuousness when he was weak and weary after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. We can learn from Jesus that It is not a matter of faith to go out of your way to seek harm's way. We're not to test God. We're not to dare him or prove ourselves in God's protection to others. The three children of Israel did not place themselves into the fiery furnace situation, but were set there by the viciousness of the tyrant in response to their faithful obedience to the Lord. They trusted God and he, what, he became their refuge against the flame. Not one hair of their heads was singed by the fire. In a similar manner, Peter and John, when they were suffering the inquisition of the Sanhedrin, chose to obey God rather than obey men. However, they did receive stripes. They suffered, and yet they rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer. For the name of Christ, God delivers us from all kinds of trials and tribulations. Sometimes he may deliver us into the lion's mouth, as is testified by many martyrs and other lambs of the great shepherd. But we take comfort and consolation in the forerunner of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, who was given over to the cross, who was delivered through his hour of temptation, who yielded not to the pressure to give up the mission of the crucifixion and his atoning death for sinners. For Jesus, God's grace was sufficient for him, and power was truly made perfect in his weakness. Now, there's something about verses 11 and 12 and following that it even took me until today to really understand them properly. Yet we've known verses 11 and 12, the devil used these verses to tempt Jesus. And it's when we come to verse 13 when it says, actually literally says, upon the lion and the cobra you will tread, you will trample upon the young lion and the serpent. Who is the you here? All week long, I've been operating under the assumption that it's the believer, it's the follower, it's the faithful one. Until this afternoon, I had to realize, you and I are not faithful. You and I are not the ones who can bear up. You and I are are not the victorious ones. This is Jesus. Jesus is the one who treads upon the lion and the cobra. And the devil knew that. The devil would have known the ancient prophecy of the one whose heel would be struck. But with that same foot crushed the head of the serpent. Jesus trampled the serpent. He crushed Satan underneath his feet. As we go into these following verses, I realize that verses 14 through 16 give us a beautiful picture of Jesus, As we enter into Holy Week, let's consider this beautiful tapestry of the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Nobody loved the Father like the Son. Jesus faithfully fulfilled his mission obediently keeping the very will of his Father. He held fast to him. He remained attached to him daily through his temptations and trials. Jesus demonstrates for us that perfect loyalty that the Father seeks. He was willing to risk his own neck for the sake of the mission. Jesus had real skin in the game. He delighted to bring honor to the father and not to himself. He was consumed with the glory of his father, not his own reputation, caring not to save his own skin. Consequently, the Lord says, I will set him on high because he knows my name. No one knew the father like the son. The old saying goes, it's not who you are or not what you do, but it's who you know. When it comes to finding a job, many of us know that networking through people you know is far more effective than casting out your resume to the wind. Likewise, our salvation is not about what we've done. It's not based upon the quality of our resume. Our salvation is rooted in what Christ has done. And our salvation comes to us by means of the one we know, the Savior, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, only by faith in his precious blood. Verse 15, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. The Father was with the Son every step of the way towards the cross. And yet there was that moment upon the cross where the Father did turn his back. And Jesus suffered the abandonment, that rejection that you and I deserve. That which we would suffer for all eternity were it not for the sacrificial, perfect obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. On his basis, we have been secured that assurance of dwelling in God's presence forever. It's on this basis we can cry with the psalmist and acclaim this for our own from Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And lastly, in verse 16, the father says to the son, with long life... Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? The Lord Jesus was vindicated. This week we celebrate the vindication of the Son, who did and fulfilled what you and I cannot do, who suffered what you and I could not endure. Only Jesus satisfies conditions of the great God and lawkeeper. Only he can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And you and I enjoy the precious benefits of the true elder brother who left his father's side to seek and rescue wayward younger brothers like you and I. He is the good shepherd who not only sought out the lost sheep, but laid down his life for the sheep. And so tonight, this week, I exhort you to embrace him, to receive his grace, to reject those phony shelters of this life. All those makeshift, cardboard, temporary shelters have got to go. We have mansions being built for us in glory. We have security ...laid up, treasure laid up for us in heaven, which makes the securities of this life worthless. These things do not last. Things of this world rust, they rot, they're vulnerable to thieves. Flee from them. Flee from the rotten things of this world as you would flee a forest fire and find safe, safe haven on the island... Surrounded by waters. Go to that precious real estate, that very cross, that place of the cross that is scorned by worldly wise men. Find refuge there, only the only place of protection from the trials of this life and the judgment that is to come. When we take up our refuge at the foot of the cross, we testify that God alone saves us, that it is all of him and none for us for his own glory. I retell the story, familiar to perhaps many or some, and unfamiliar to others, and unfortunately. A very well-documented historical account that was common in school textbooks up until about the 1930s. It's a story of what happened in a great battle on July 9th, 1755. There was a battle at Fort Duquesne, contemporary day Pittsburgh, between the British colonial militia who were sent on a mission to drive out the French who were allied by local Native Americans. Now, as the redcoats, about 1,500 or so strong, came marching down towards the fort, the natives, the Indians, scoffed at the proud foolishness of these British soldiers who were simply walking into a trap to be cut down by crossfire, hidden fire coming from trees and rocks along the sides of the roads for a grueling two hours a half to perhaps two-thirds of the nearly fourteen to 1,500 men were slaughtered. The officers of this troop were the easiest targets, all of whom were mounted upon horses. Every single one of them was cut down, with the exception of one man. A young lieutenant colonel was fired at, is reported, at least 17 times by one brave and shot out multiple times by others, and yet escaped unscathed, and led his men to retreat. About nine days later, after this incident, this young lieutenant colonel wrote his brother, responding to the rumor, dispelling the rumor that he was dead, to say these words, by the all-powerful Dispensations of Providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or, ex- or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat, and two horses shot under me yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side. That lieutenant colonel was George Washington, age 23, who would go on to fight many heroic battles, An escape every time, unscathed. Who would go on to help establish this nation, upon whom rested the divine favor of the Most High. A man who sought to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Most High cast a much larger shadow than my father offered me as a child. And he casts such a great shadow that includes great men like George Washington and small men like myself and you. You and I have many enemies. We will fight many battles. And yet providence proves master over all of these things. I recite again the words from our previous hymn, Beneath the cross, the final stanza. I take, O cross, thy shadow from my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. Friends, the day will come. When there will be no more shadow, those of us who are in Christ will dwell in the holy presence of the living God in all His blazing glory forever and ever and ever. And yet, till then, might you and I rest, find contentment as we journey through the valley of shadows, abiding. Under the wings of the Almighty. Call on Him in the day of disaster. He will deliver you and you will glorify Him. Let us pray. Gracious God, Father Almighty, we magnify, we glorify Your name. Help us, O oh Lord, to find and keep our refuge in your shadow, to abide in your shelter, to take a refuge beneath the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us this week to reflect upon him, to meditate upon his passion, death, and resurrection. And may he be glorified in our hearts, in our lives before you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.